Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hey everyone, looking for lending for your next project? Well, we want to introduce you to Fund That Flip. So what is Fund That Flip? Well, Fund That Flip is fast, affordable funding for your next real estate transaction. And trust me, we know. We've used them and are using them currently for deals that we're working on flipping homes. So if you want white glove service, check out Fund That Flip for great terms, reliable service, just everything you're looking for from a funding partner. Peely, where can we find them? You can find them at fundthatflip.com backslash REI Foundation. Again, that's fundthatflip.com backslash REI Foundation. What are you waiting for? Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Real Estate Investing Foundation with Jason and Peely. Today, we welcome Alan Schlafrock. Hi, Alan. Hey, how are you guys? Hey, Alan. Thanks for coming on today. And a little bit more about Alan. Alan is a Brooklyn native who knew the borough before anyone had ever awesome. even heard of soy lattes or artisanal soap. <laughs> Graduated from Brooklyn College and got a Master in Business Administration from Florida International University. His first career involved trading commodities in the Florida and New York uh, Mercantile Exchange, and he eventually transitioned to real estate and has been involved in over 100 deals, some successful and others so out of this world. What the heck was I thinking? Awful. And that's exactly perfect for today. That really provided his inspiration and material for his book that just launched How Not to Make Money in Real Estate. But despite the homesickness caused by some of these disastrous deals, he still has lots to be grateful for. Uh, so Alan is married and currently lives on Long Island and welcome in today, Alan. Thanks so much. And, uh, first question we always love to start with is how did you get started in real estate? So I was, like you said, trading commodities for a while. That was my career. I was hoping it'd be my career for a little bit longer, but, uh, you know, with the advent of some of the new technology and trading, there was no reason for a floor anymore. I was basically in a situation where I had to do something else. And the market at that time was obviously horrible. This is going back to 2009, 10. Nobody wanted to buy real estate, and I saw an opportunity there to pick up these houses below replacement cost, rent them out, and kind of. I, it was just a once in a generation opportunity that I wanted to seize to get involved in real estate, which is something I always thought about when prices were so high. Like, what were you going to do? So, you know, the opportunity presented itself. I seized it, and now that's my full time career. That's amazing. And so, if someone comes up to you and says to you today, "What do you typically do?" What do you tell them? So I don't like to tell people I'm in real estate because it just sounds pretentious. Like you try to sound like you're Donald Trump or somebody else like that. Like uh, I just tell them I renovate houses and, you know, in doing so help, you know, revitalize communities and neighborhoods. And it's a lot of fun. And, um, and that's how I make money. I rent houses. I sell some, I rent some, but I don't like to tell people I'm in real estate. I don't like just using that term. Again, it sounds a little bit pretentious. Got it. And you know, what would really catch me is so you, you have this downturn coming, everybody else is running for the fences and you look at it and you say, well, houses are below replacement costs. This isn't the time to capitalize. Let's talk about that with, in terms of today where things are, we're up moving into a, a direction of some kind of peak, especially in a lot of multifamily areas where we're at the top of the market. What would make sense to you right now? Or what would you look for to see that the market's turning? So maybe the next time we may not hopefully have such a bad dip, but, but what would you be looking for now? So I think as a trader, you're kind of always looking for like inflection points and things like that, where the market's going to turn. But also as a trader, you know that you're never going to accurately predict them. Nobody sells at the top 
and nobody buys at the bottom. I mean, I guess someone does, but the point is that like, you're not going to. So I think that given that the market's high, you don't need to be a big buyer right now. You don't need to be a seller, but you kind of got to pull in your horns a little bit, be a little bit more conservative, really pick up properties that are solid. Make sure that if the market were to turn tomorrow, you won't get killed. So be conservative in your numbers and be conservative in the kind of financing that you put on these properties. Don't be taking 99% loans out where the market turns down, you know, 2% and I'm underwater. So you definitely have to be a little bit more conservative there, but I don't think anybody can accurately predict a top or a bottom. So you just keep doing what you're doing. Just do it conservatively. That's great. Nice. Great answer. So how did you learn and who helped mentor you, you through the beginning steps? So here's the thing, and here's where I think I break with a lot of other people who probably interview. I didn't really have a mentor, okay. and how I, I wouldn't say I learned from anybody, but I did invest alongside a few guys who, um, they, they were doing this before I was, and that's kind of how I got my feet wet. Um, the relationship didn't end very well, but uh, at that point, I decided to go out on my own and just make mistakes and have success and just figure it out on my own, and, and that's really what I did. There was nobody there to really help me or guide me. I just did it. After a few deals, you kind of figure it out. You get your feet wet. You get your sea legs under you, and and, and you can do it. That's great. Now, nice. do you look for partners today, or you still do it strictly on your own? So mostly strictly on my own. I am going to be, you know, looking for partners because I am going to start looking for maybe bigger uh, deals where it makes sense to kind of collaborate with other people who have a different set of skills than me. But for what I'm doing right now, it's it's mostly been on my own. And obviously, I've got my team: contractors, lawyers, insurance guys, subcontractors, everybody which is obviously very important. Um, but I've got my own team as far as that's concerned, management company. That's great. What noting that I, you said that your last partnerships or the partnerships in the beginning didn't work out so well. So when you look for partners again, what will be a learning lesson or something that you'll be able to have a hopefully better success rate this time around? People who won't steal from me. Yeah. Uh, that's always a great starting point. So. <laughs> I think I wrote this in the book, but my grandfather had a saying that there's only two ways to really lose money uh, in, in business in general in three ways, stock market, gambling, and bad partners, because you know, you can make a bad business decision that happens to everybody. But if you're in business with dishonest people, you're not, it's, it's not good. You're not going to, from day one, you're, you're behind the eight ball. So it'd be really, you got to choose your partners very, very carefully. So Next time I'll choose my partners a lot more carefully. You're right when you said basically life was your mentor. Life is your mentor. And I mean, I wonder if those guys are listening to the podcast now. Okay, whatever. You know? Might be. That's right. It's good. <laughs> so what, what did your first deal look like? So the first deal I did on my own was actually a complete nightmare. And it's in the book. Uh, I came out okay, but um, I bought a, a short sale. The house cost me $120,000 in moving condition. Three units. I was going to rent it out for uh, 1000 bucks a unit. It's great. House is in great condition. We're closing on a Friday and uh, I go to do the walkthrough on Friday and I go down there and the realtor comes to me, can't find the keys, can't get in, make sure everything's okay. But I look through all the windows. It hasn't been broken into. There's no flood. It looks fine. Okay. I come back on Monday. Again, I don't have the keys yet. So, um, but I didn't need the keys because somebody had kicked in the door over the weekend, wow. completely destroyed. And you owned it at this house. point? I'm sorry? And you owned it at this point? I owned it at this point. It happened over the weekend. I closed on Friday. Oh, wow. And nothing was left. There was a flood in the basement. Um, they ripped out all the copper. They ripped out all the pipes. They ripped out all the electric. They didn't even have... Why did they have to destroy the kitchen? What did the kitchen ever do to you? And, um, oh, no. There's no pipes there. They just, just sledgehammered everything. And there's neighbors on both sides. Like, nobody heard anything. 
Seriously? Okay, whatever. So um, the, the insurance claim wound up being almost as much as I paid for the house. That's how much damage. They just completely, you know, and so were the repairs. So it's not like I came out like I had. But um, so there was that. And then um, that, that was my introduction thing. Like, this is not going to be easy. Like, yes, I bought a house for cheap. Wonderful. But uh, the nightmares that came with it after that, I mean, that, that's when I should have known that, like, this was going to be, you know, quite a difficult journey. Wow. Wow. That is, a uh, first that is a first deal. So after that, how do you hang in there? I mean, once again, I didn't have a choice. This was going to be my career. Got it. Um, I understood also that nothing comes easy. There's going to be difficulties along the way. And I told myself, like, okay, if this is the hardest and worst thing that happens to you over the course of your career, you'll be okay. But it wasn't. But still, you know, um, you know, I was able to persevere through that and keep going. So tell, uh, give, us, give us a little bit more uh, good news. What did your first good deal look like? I mean, that, that wasn't even a bad deal, but after that, I started flipping <laughs> houses pretty successfully. Um, you know, there was, there was drama, there's, there's drama in every deal. Yes. But at that, after that, I learned to like secure the properties and just do a better job of due diligence on the neighborhoods. And once I learned from that experience, because that's the thing, and I wrote it in my book, I said, I don't make the same mistake twice. I make mistakes. I don't make the same mistake twice because I always learn from what I did wrong. And that's what I'm hoping people pick up from the book and from, you know, listening to us right here. That's kind of what I'm hoping they they pick up from us. So let's talk a little bit about your book since this is uh, prevalent to the here and now. Tell us a little bit about it. So I decided to put together um, for other people's education and for my own amusement, um, a list of some of the, some of my greatest hits or misses um, stories that happened over the course of my career as I was, you know, learning the business. It's called how not to make money in real estate. It's available on uh, Amazon and the paperback and the Kindle. Um, just some of the crazy stuff that happened to me and, and you know, the book's meant to be entertaining and I hope that it is. But more than that, I think at the end of every story, people are going to be like, Oh, there's something to learn. There's something that I should not do or I should have done. And again, I don't make the same mistake twice. So I learned from these stories and I kind of wish I would have held off on it because I could have doubled the size of the book in the three months probably after I published it. Awesome. It just it just doesn't get easier, man. <laughs> I think if you, if I think if any real estate investor worth there, I guess, that's put a time in and done Anything. a couple of deals it has had some crazy has points i'm sure so <laughs> and that's what they don't tell you like on tv that's what they don't tell you like on hgtv or the seminars or everything like that and i kind of wanted to be like uh you know counterpoint here you know it's not <laughs> going to be that easy you will be successful you can be successful but man is it it's going to be hard so you know fast forward today uh you have a, a large portfolio built up uh across you know a couple of different markets how are you working to better improve your process and system currently so i mean currently my biggest um impediment to growing my business is the actual lack of deal flow so i'm looking at just growing my network casting a slightly wider net maybe even you know looking at other markets that are a little bit um where you don't have as many people kind of picking over the same deals but um, that's kind of mostly what I'm doing is I'm just trying to, you know, grow outward instead of just um, like the systems and the processes I have in place now, I think are pretty good. You can always improve on everything, but uh, I'm definitely looking to expand my net of where I'm looking and um, also my network of like contractors and subcontractors. Because as you expand, you kind of, you wear those guys out. So that's, that's kind of what I'm doing now. That's great. And how do you typically or so is there one specific area that you use to source deals, you know, MLS, direct mail, is there something that you like to utilize that's worked for you at least now? 
So I don't use direct mail. I kind of let the direct mail people work for me. I have a very good network of wholesalers, very good network of realtors. And I think that the best way to get deals sourced, I mean, I use auction websites too. Um, those are okay. Uh, is, is to you do a deal with a broker, a few brokers. They know you. They know you for real. They know you close because a lot of deals don't close. A lot of deals are, are people trying to either flip the deal and they don't really have the money or they're just, they can't close for whatever reason. But once you get in the business and you've done a few deals and you've taken that leap, people will start to come to you and they'll know your name and they'll know that you're good for it. So that's kind of how I source my deals, my name and just my reputation for being able to close. That's great. Let's talk about the financing piece because you said a lot of people don't have the money to close. They're always trying to flip the contracts. So people are in that position and say they don't have the money to close, but they do want to get out there and start doing projects. What do you suggest as a way that they can find financing for deals? So, I mean, obviously you got a lot of those hard money lenders uh, and those guys are great, but I really do think when you're first starting off, I do think you need some capital. And that's not something a lot of people want to hear. And that's not something a lot of people want to tell you. You need capital if you have to borrow it from, from close family and friends and cut them in some kind of an equity interest in the property. I think that's worth doing rather than um, trying, trying to hustle deals like that, which is fine. But I don't think the success rate is as high as it could be if you just kind of scared up some capital some other way. I know it's easy for some people to say, oh, just scare up some capital. It's not really that practical, but I don't think that there's a better way. That's good. No. I, I like that yeah, a lot because again, hard money sounds good, but if you don't have budget in, you don't have that excess for all the things that do go wrong, you know, <laughs> that will go wrong, then you can catch yourself in a lot of trouble. So yeah, really yeah. good point. And it's very truthful. I mean, some people say that anybody can get into this business, but it is a lot better if you have your own, you know, your own skin in the game. Yeah, and you have to remember the, the people that are saying those kind of things are trying to sell you a program. So, of course, they're going to tell you everything's great or they want you to watch their TV show. Of course, they're not going to show you when they lose money because you're just going to shut the channel off. So, that's not how they make money. They don't make money, you know, telling you the truth. They make money selling you a dream. So, you, you just got to be careful and you got to be realistic about your expectations, I think. So, you've already given us your kind of your worst deal or your, your first deal which sounds pretty bad. Um, but what is the strangest thing that you've ever done as an investor? I mean, the strangest, the book covers kind of a lot of strange things I've seen. I've seen like satanic rituals taking place on my property or at least the aftermath of it. Oh, so wow. like, yeah, I once had like, uh, I, I was in contract on a house. It was a short sale and someone calls, the broker calls me and he's like, your house is on fire. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, there's a fire going on in the house. And I'm like, nothing I could do about it now. I live, you know, an hour away and I'm in my pajamas. So I go in the morning and the house wasn't on fire. There was nothing wrong. But then I see inside somebody had lit like a, a circle of red candles, a circle of red candles. And there was like red paint or blood or something in the middle. I don't know what they did there. I couldn't believe it, but they did something there and it was something somewhat unholy. I don't know. It was, it was just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And then just to clean up, I wasn't going to like, Lick it and be like, oh, that's blood. Like, no, I'm not doing that. So no. I actually don't know exactly what went on that night, but it was it was just bizarre. You're just like, uh, let's clean up on aisle five. Yeah, exactly. Aisle five. Yeah, yeah, we call it. Hopefully, yeah. That's gotta be one of the strangest stories. Yeah, have. I would say that that goes up there in the list for sure. Yeah, there's more in the book. Well. If you look at your business today, you said you've done a lot, you know, and you're transitioning. What does your business look like today? Are you still flipping? Are you doing more buy and holds or where's your focus? So I'm definitely doing less flipping. And the reason is because the market's recovered and the, the REO market is not nearly as robust. You can't pick up 
a decent house for 90 grand anymore than 90 grand houses, 150. Now there goes your profit, you know, in some of these areas. So I'm doing a lot more buy and hold. I'm being a lot more selective in the neighborhoods and kind of the numbers that I'm using because house flipping is becoming a little bit more difficult in, in my market. I mean, I can't speak for every market across the country, but, um, and, and buying holes are make a lot of sense because you're starting to get a lot of more appreciation in some of these cities in New Jersey. Now that the foreclosure crisis is finally winding down in this part of the country, because you know, we've got that really long judicial process, you know, five years. Yeah. So we knew we'd recover later in this part of the country. And I think it's finally happening. So it makes sense to buy and hold, even though, you know, the wholesale price to buy a property is going up along with the retail. So you can't really flip as nicely as you used to be able to, but buy and hold still makes a lot of sense out here. Sure. So what kind of numbers are you, are you looking at here for a buy and hold that makes sense to you? If someone's out there trying to do their first deal, what is something that you say, okay, that's a deal I'm going to go after. Are you looking for, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars per unit return on your investment? Where's your focus? I mean, I definitely focus on return on investment after all expenses and I need to, you know, obviously beat my cost of money, but I like to actually, try to double my cost of money. If my cost of money, if I'm getting good bank financing at four and a half, well, that's a little hard to do now. I'd like to just about double it. I'd like to be getting a nine, 10% return, which if you're adding a lot of value to these properties uh, is not that hard because we'll be able to get really good financing to be able to get uh, a lot of cash out as well. That's, so that's what I'm doing. So do you buy them in cash, go in there, fix them up, get them rented and then and, and basically use that burst strategy and then refi out? Is that your? Yes. Yes. Right. I've, I've done pretty well doing that. Yeah. Great. works out here. What is your focus? Are you trying to ever add square footage? Are you trying to update, you know, split off utilities? What's something that do you like to stick to the cosmetics? Where's your bread and butter? I like to make my properties uh, a little bit nicer than people are expecting for the neighborhood that they're moving into. And that keeps me rented um, fully. Yep. I mean, as fully as possible. The point is that if somebody sees my property and then he goes next door to the other guy's property, mine needs to look a little bit nicer for more or less the same price so that I don't lose a month. And nobody ever walks into my properties and says that's an ugly house. And that's kind of the way I like to keep it. As far as adding square footage, I don't really do extensions, but if I see that there's like a wall where it doesn't need to be, or I can even add another bedroom by kind of walling something off, I'll definitely do that. That's Because great. you know, one more bedroom adds you know, X amount of dollars, and if it's just a matter of some plywood, some beams and some sheetrock, then just do it. You touched on a good point too, is that you make it nicer in the property next door and you, when you may even be just charging the same rent, but you're not going to be vacant for that month or two months when they're going to go vacant because your property is nicer than every other one around. Even if you're spending a little bit more money, you're not getting crushed on that. those down months. So that's a really good point. And chances yeah. are you're going to get a better tenant. Yeah, exactly. That, right. too. that too. Yeah. Where's your end game? Wait, what is the end game with real estate? The end game is to build enough positive cash flow where I don't really have to work anymore. I think that's everybody's end game. Um, you know, that, that, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I, I would like to keep refinancing. I don't think that I'm going to hold on to like the two, three family houses forever. You know, some of the bigger multifamilies, you know, the sixes and the twelves, whatever. I, I, I can pass those on to my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids. But as far as the two and three families, I don't think that that's something you need to be holding on to for, for more than five years. And then kind of, you know, take that cash, put it in something nice, you know, and save a bigger building, all the equity that I built over the years, kind of put it into something like that. And then retire, move, get out, get out of the game. Are you awesome. thinking about going bigger? Like you, you mentioned you're in, you have mostly two and threes, but you have sixes and uh, higher than that. Are you thinking about going into larger multifamily? Yeah, I am. And that's kind of what I'm doing with some of the proceeds from the birth strategy. Uh, I'm not taking that money and necessarily putting it back into twos and threes. Cause again, that 
once in a generation opportunities really winding down. So now I'll just invest in bigger multifamily, just like everybody else has been doing for the last, you know, million years or whatever. Yeah, that's great. It is true, right? Repeat, repeat, just learn from what everybody else is doing. There's no new real estate here. So I I agree. That's it. That's a great step in the process. And are you going to be focusing on large multifamily and try and stay local New York, New Jersey? Because, you know, everybody says you can't buy anything here. You can't scale here, but, but people are doing it. So is are you folks trying to do it here or will you be looking out of market Midwest, Southeast, somewhere else? I mean, for now I'm probably sticking local, uh, but I'm definitely starting to, to take a look at other markets, maybe down South, like uh, the Carolinas. I have some friends doing some stuff down there. You know, Florida, just for an excuse to go to Florida a few times a year. Yeah, it's awesome. They're like, it's a work trip, honey, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. uh, you know, I'm definitely looking in those neighborhoods. That's great. How, how big is your portfolio? And I'm asking this is that are you managers yourself? Or do you have a manager managing your properties? So I've got about um, 25, 27 uh, of the twos and threes and another like four of the bigger multifamilies. Uh, I do not manage it myself. I have a, a manager. And the reason I do that, and, and I know there's a big question of self-manager or have a property manager, is I need to focus on expansion. And that's what I'm good at, is, is finding these properties and, and renovating them and everything like that. I can't be knocking on people's doors and collecting rent, not with as many properties as I have. So We are pro third-party management. So yeah, we, we completely agree. How do you source a good manager? What would what do you look for? What makes sense that this person is the right person or this group is the right group to manage my properties? So, I mean, again, honesty is the best thing. You have to make sure that if he says a toilet's broken and he charges $150, there was actually a $150 broken toilet and things like that. Um, I got lucky. I kind of found my guy. We clicked and he does a great job for me. Um, but a lot of people aren't as lucky. I used a management company out of state once and I wasn't really pleased with them. And you also got to be on top of them and, uh, and just build a good relationship with them. Like, they know you're good for the money. They know if they do the repair immediately to keep the tenant happy you're going to pay them you're not going to be like oh i didn't tell you to fix the toilet you know or whatever step on the roach whatever it was i don't know <laughs> so um you have to have a good relationship with them and, and a lot of it's luck you know there's, there's some bad actors out there you know i'm pretty blessed that i have a pretty good team around me so that's, that's great that's great do you have a five-year plan or now that you're looking to scale what, what does the next five years look like in your business I think in the next five years, I definitely don't want to have too many of these twos and threes left. I think that if the economy stays strong, and even if it doesn't stay quite as strong, um, there's enough. There's been enough um, increase in value over the last five years that I've been doing this or whatever for me to like comfortably cash out, take my equity, put it into something a little bit more uh, stable. Uh, so I that's probably what I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in mostly bigger multifamilies in the next five years. I'm just you know, that was kind of a starter point. You know, again, there was that once in a generation opportunity to pick up those houses below replacement costs, rent them out at a decent profit, which had never happened at any time in American history, probably. Um, take that and, and use it to build, you know, to get to the next level. It was kind of a stepping stone for me. Incredible. So what is your big why? Why what? <laughs> why? Why do you do it all? Why do you, why are you in real estate? Why? Why is this your route for the future? Why? Why? Because <laughs> I gotta eat. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But I, I really, really do enjoy it. Um, uh, and I enjoy especially when like I take like a like a really nasty house and it's like crime infested, and then the neighborhood's going down because you've got this vacant house. Renovate it, move in a nice family. Sometimes I drive by houses that like I flipped 
two, three years ago when you see the kids playing out front, it's a good feeling. You know, there's definitely a lot of professional fulfillment and personal fulfillment beyond just the money. But at the end of the day, this is a business and I am trying to be, you know, as successful as I can be in it. Fantastic. Do you have any words you live by? You know what? Um, Be kind. I think, especially if you're a landlord, people tend to take advantage of people. Um, There's no reason for that. You can, you can make a good living as a landlord and not be a slumlord and not be, you know, a jerk to your tenants. You can find that that middle ground where you're making a nice profit and everybody's happy and you're giving these people depend on you for a place to live. I don't understand. And I wrote about in the book, why people take shortcuts with renovations and safety renovations and violations and renting out illegal basement apartments with no fire escape, no way to get out of God forbid something terrible happens. So I think just be kind and treat people kind of how you would want to be treated if you were in their situation. And if there was a person listening today, or, or a couple or, or a group and they're, they're trying to say, I want to get in this real estate journey. I want to be where Alan is. I want, I want to have cash flow. I want to grow on this point, but I don't even know where to start. What's one actionable step they can take right now to start themselves on this journey? I would tell them to go on like meetup.com or Facebook and find a meetup near you and talk to people who are doing it and people who, especially people who are like struggling to do it, see, you know, where their pain points are and see maybe where you can, I mean, first of all, maybe team up or help them or just learn kind of what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong and just talk to people who are doing it. I understand that there's a lot of books out there and those are fine. And there's a lot of um, gurus and, and seminars and things like that. And those are whatever. But um, the point is, I think that if you talk to people who are actually doing it, go to these meetups and say, hey, my name's Bob and I'm, I want to get started in real estate. I would talk to someone like that. And I think a lot of other people would too, just kind of share knowledge. That's kind of what I would do. So why should, why should we pick up your book? Why should our listeners pick your book up? I think that if you're the type of person that's looking to start in real estate and you're already reading books, I think you need a little maybe cold water thrown on you or at least a different perspective on how the business goes. And I mean, I'm not trying to brag, but I think it's pretty entertaining. I think I wrote it in a, in a really entertaining and funny manner and you're going to enjoy it. Uh, it's a quick read. And, but I think that for what, what it's packed with, there's a lot of information on things that, again, I did wrong. And you don't have to do wrong because, you know, you were kind enough to pick up my book. You're smart enough to pick up my book. And the book, again, is How to Not Make Money in Real Estate. How Not to Make Money in Real Estate. Yep, I got it. I look forward to reading it and uh, finding what are the craziest stories in there. We'll report back. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. What is the best way for people to, one, find your book, and two, if they want to reach out to you and say hello or hear a little bit more about you? So, again, there's the book. Um, You can find it on Amazon. If you can spell my last name. There it is. There it is. Yep. You're watching on YouTube right now. He's got the book. Everything good to go. You can see it there. And I have LinkedIn and you can reach me on Facebook. Um, One of my companies, I have a Facebook page where I sometimes post um, funny pictures, interesting videos of the houses that I look at. It's OG Property Investments. Uh, Yesterday, I ruined a pair of shoes, stepping in some raw sewage. You can see all about that on my Facebook page. That's a lot of fun. So, you know, you'll kind of see things like that. Again, like the lighter side of uh, real estate investing. Well, it's the lighter side, but it's also the truthful side. So thank you so much for joining us, Alan. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's been great. Well, this is the Real Estate Investing Foundation with Jason and Peely. Thank you again to Alan. And thank you again to everyone out there that's listening and watching. We are so grateful. Have a good day. Bye now. Bye.
So fun that flip. You've heard of him before. We had the founder, Matt Rodak, back in the show of episode 139 and some exciting news happening over at Fun That Flip. They now have funding for your two, three, and four family rentals. So if you're looking for fast, reliable, easy to work with funding for all of your real estate needs and now for two, three, and four family rentals, where can we find them? You can find them at fundthatflip.com backslash the REI Foundation. Again, that was fundthatflip.com backslash the REI Foundation. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.